Welcome to the Chase MedSearch Podcast, the place where we dive deep into the medical device sales industry by discussing the current trends, timeless philosophies, and amazing experiences that shape our niche of the industry. Join me, Jordan Chase, on a guided tour as I speak with established sales leaders and professionals as they share stories that will help you get in, stay in, and thrive in your medical device sales career. Let's start the show. Welcome back to the Chase MedSearch Podcast. We are hitting a rhythm with these, as I mentioned on the last one, super excited. Love the audience participation, love the feedback, questions that we're getting, topic suggestions, that's great. Any and all feedback, how we can improve things around here, love to do it. Very excited today to have my next guest, Josh Reynolds, Area Vice President for Ortho Fundamentals, joining us today. Josh is part of that active participative audience, and he reached out on his own, which was great. And he had a topic he wanted to suggest, which is around SI Fusion and the SI marketplace in general. And I was glad to have him on. Josh is located in the lovely state of Florida. Glad to have him with us today. Josh, welcome to the Chase MedSearch podcast. Thanks so much, Jordan. Glad to be here. Yeah. So Josh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your career? Sure. Yeah, no. So I have been in medical sales now for almost 10 years, be 10 years in March, which is crazy. I've I've been doing this for a decade now. But um, originally, I'm from a small town in Western Kentucky called Murray, Kentucky. I went to college, played baseball, had aspirations to play, you know, Major League Baseball. That, of course, did not happen. (laughs) Obviously, they were talking to you today. But, you know, ultimately, it's funny. I had some some teammates and, you know, a few roommates that got drafted and I was looking around, no one on either side of me. So, I figured, well, it's time to get a, a big boy job. So in my travels of playing baseball, I was able to meet a mentor and he was a total joint guy, did some sports medicine, really liked it as a whole. I didn't even know the industry existed, really. I, I knew there were pharmaceutical reps, but I, I didn't know about being in a procedure and helping a physician get through a surgery based on your expertise. So he's really the one that got me into it. And so I ultimately, like, okay, this is what I want to do. It's very competitive. A lot of former athletes whether collegiately or some, I know some professional athletes that, that do this now, but I thought I'd be a, a good fit for me. So I ultimately uh, applied all over the place. I didn't care if it was Montana, Seattle, whatever, right? As long as I could get into the space. And it just so happened I landed West Palm Beach, Florida. So West Kentucky to West Palm is a pretty good trade. <laughs> mm. But, um, yeah. you know, I've been here ever since, went to multiple specialties. My first gig really was with uh, total joints. So we did total hips, total knees, did some revisions, which was really clinically involved, right? You have to know uh, a lot when it comes to revising an existing prosthesis. Uh, it, it can be very challenging, can be lengthy. A lot of times there's multiple companies in the room, kind of controlled chaos. But from a clinical standpoint, uh, it's irreplaceable. I mean, that is a, those ortho guys, I mean, they, they go through it on, on a daily basis. So yeah. But yeah, from from there, it's funny. I actually went to pharmaceuticals because normally, you know, you hear people going to pharma device and not the other way around. But I wanted to have more of like a, a sales background. You know, when I was talking to a physician around the scrub sink is it's good. And you obviously can get some things accomplished there. But a lot of that face-to-face in, in sales is kind of what I was missing, which is tough to do when you're running around pans and trays all over, <laughs> all over the place, right? Depending on your territory size. So I got into pharmaceuticals. 
loved it. It was it was a great gig. Had a great product. I was able to sell. We had a Super Bowl commercial, which mm. made my job a little bit easier. <laughs> great. But you know, it, it actually was in that kind of the transition of my career where it was ortho and pain that I was calling on. I didn't have a opioid that I was selling, but something to take it in junction with an opioid. But during that time was when the opioid epidemic kind of came to fruition. Legislation got involved, like, hey, we got to stop writing so many pain medications. Long-term use is not good. You know the rest. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these physicians, especially interventional pain, were kind of forced into offering more interventional procedures for their patients to try to either... A, get them off opioids completely or at a minimum titrate them down, right? Mm -hmm. So I got into neuromodulation, right? So I worked with a few different companies in that space, loved it. From there, I actually went to a startup where we're doing interspinous fusion devices, right? So again, another realm of maybe a step up as far as like going after a patient's pain more mechanically than neuropathically, right? So, and yeah, ever since, I mean, obviously I've been doing this 10 years, maybe seven years in, in spine and pain and have seen uh, quite the progression as far as the interventional procedures that these physicians offer. So it's been great and I'm happy to be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic background, which is obviously well positioned you for your role that you hold today. And I love the topic suggestion and I want people to do more of that because it's one that I have wanted to do for a while and I'm just so excited that you're on to talk with us about it, given your expertise and, and knowledge base. But we're talking about the sacroiliac area of the body, specifically SI fusion, which is a market that's big and growing. In 2022, it was estimated to be around 712 million and they're looking at a compound annual growth rate of a little over 12% through 2032. This market, for those that may or may not be familiar with it, you know we have an aging population. There is an increased prevalence of degenerative conditions and chronic pain. SI joint dysfunction as a diagnosed disease is going up, way up. And give us a little bit of an outline of what it means to have an SI fusion. Sure. Well, yeah, no, I mean, to speak on the numbers, which you quoted, it's very similar to what I've, I've been seeing and what we have on, based on our research. But over the next seven to 10 years, all the baby boomers are going to be reaching Medicare age, right? So a lot of people are going to need interventions, mm -hmm. need to be properly diagnosed. And that's part of the big debate in spine pain management is, you know, is the pain coming from that SI joint or is it not, right? Because mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, a lot of times it presents as a low back, but I mean, one in five people could be SI joint pain. So that's why it's important to have certain medical necessity guidelines, which there are, mm -hmm. to determine that this is the appropriate treatment option for the patient, right? Yep. So I think there's definitely a light being shined on this specific procedure mm -hmm. in a good way, because I think, you know, a lot of times or more recently, I think it's almost been forgotten and as if it doesn't exist at all, right? Mm. Yeah. I mean, the physicians essentially stabilizing and fusing the joint together, right? Two bones that'll heal together over time. Right. Well, that's some more of the exciting stuff that's going on right now in this space. I mean, you have two schools of thought, right? You either have distraction or you have compression, right? And mm -hmm. depending on who you talk to, whether that be industry or physicians, what is better for the patient? Short-term, long-term, you know, there are some companies out there that are putting in an allograft wedge, doesn't necessarily have to be allograft. There's some that have a titanium implant now mm -hmm. where you're wedging that joint open, right? So you go through like an oblique approach and you're basically spacing that joint out to keep that friction from happening. And then the other school of thought obviously is compression where you're going through the ilium across the joint into the sacrum. 
So it just really depends on what you believe, uh, patient anatomy. There's a few different thought processes in that regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, the goal overall, the big goal is to limit motion, restore stability, hopefully reduce pain and discomfort. No matter what approach you're taking, that's what you want to do. And Mm -hmm. that's the goal. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So initially, when this market came out, we're talking about ortho, spine, neuro, spine doctors doing these procedures, surgeons. But we've seen in the last few years, interventional pain management doctors taking them on now as well. Mm-hmm. What was kind of your understanding or how do you understand that transition? Because that's a, not a specialty that's thought of necessarily for this type of surgical procedure moving into that space. Sure. Well, I mean, I think ultimately, you know, in medicine, it comes down, what were you trained to do? right? Mm -hmm. What do you have the ability to do for your patients, right? Without doing any harm. So historically, like you said, you know, spine doctors have adopted that, but more and more, I don't know if there's more of an influx of patients, maybe kind of speaking to what I was talking about with the boomers earlier, Mm -hmm. but you know, there's a lot more pain management doctors that have these patients coming to them like, Hey, like, I don't want to go through X, Y, Z. Most patients love their pain doctor, right? Because they're seeing them more often. They're giving them injections. Right. And I think that type of palliative care, you know, is some sort of a trust between the pain management doctor and their patient, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, I think if a pain management doctor goes through the right training and has some interventional background wherever they train, then this is something they can absolutely do. And us as a company, I mean, we have several different solutions for both spine and pain, depending on your school of thought, and a lot of different safety features also built into our system in order to, you know, have a safe and efficacious procedure. I think something we've seen develop even maybe within the last year and a half are companies that had done these procedures and had, you know, many times told the surgeons that were doing the procedures that they were not going to take them into the interventional pain market, Mm. but that's shifted and they've run various studies, if you will, or pilot projects and seen that this is a market where the pain doctors are receptive to this procedure and want to do this procedure and, and the patients are presenting to them initially with this condition. So things sort of align there. Mm. You know, one of the things that tends to drive market growth and physicians adopting specialties is coding and reimbursement. Can you give us kind of an idea or insight into the coding reimbursement that's typical in these procedures? Sure, sure. Yeah, there's been quite a bit of shakeup on the coding reimbursement for sure as of late. The traditional SI joint fusion code is 27279, right? Mm -hmm. And that says you must go through the ileum across the joint into the sacrum, right? It's very clear on that. Yep. And all this can be found on cms.gov and the AMA website as well. Mm -hmm. As far as the allografts or some of these other intraarticular devices that are going in, first they were moved to a T code, which is something that, you know, private payers were not reimbursing and it was just for your Medicare patients. But now, as of January 1 of this year, there is a new code 27278 that allows you to put in a device intraarticular, whether that be allograph or synthetic. And it has its own separate coding and reimbursement that goes along with that. Mm -hmm. So again, I think it's important, depending on what physician is comfortable with and patient needs, that those two things are separated, right? And and into those two schools of thought. So yeah. When you're taking an interventional pain doctor by the hand into this world, and it's the right kind of doctor that you've sized up, they've got the right level of motivation and skill set and all those kinds of things. From start to finish, how long does it take for them to get fluid and proficient in this area? And what kinds of special things are you doing in that situation versus what you'd be doing with a neurosurgeon or other type of physician? Sure. 
Well, I mean, it all starts with education, right? I mean, we definitely go over a didactic presentation where we make sure like, all right, here's the anatomy. Here's your different views that you're looking at from a fluoroscopic standpoint. And make sure you have all your markers and try to develop that 3D mindset. Because one thing I do appreciate a lot from pain management doctors is a lot of their stuff is floral guided, right? So they are pretty good at looking at x-ray images, whereas there's a lot of spine doctors that are as well, but a lot of their stuff is open. So they're good at fluoro, but I mean, every single thing a pain management doctor does in his practice or her practice is fluoro guided. Mm. So a lot of times the anatomical markers and the different views that we look at, they are already very familiar with, right? I mean, you start out looking for a teardrop. It's like, oh, okay. It's like I'm doing a you know, SI joint injection. Perfect. Hmm. Okay. So we know what we're looking for, right? And then from there, we'll have like a synthetic model that we'll use that it requires you to use fluoro in order to kind of mock surgery, go through everything and make sure they're comfortable there. And then we'll move to something a little bit more integral, like a, a cadaver lab, where we'll go through and step-by-step step get them comfortable with instrumentation. At that point, obviously, go over all the things that could go wrong and what to watch out for, but also, more importantly, how to have a successful case and make sure we're doing the right things by the patient. Yeah, that's great. And in terms of time frame, obviously, it all depends on aptitude and their focus and attention on getting good at this. But what do you think? Is it Are we talking about a matter of weeks? Are we talking about a matter of months? What sort of is your finding with that? Well, I mean, at Ortho Fundamentals, we joke often, the CEO and COO and myself, that Ortho Fundamentals is not going to be your first product. We're not going to be your first SI joint, right? Sure. These are physicians that have done tons of other interventions, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it be interspinous spacers, whether it be other SI joint fusion products, right? I'm very familiar with that, Mark. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. So all of those things, right? We, we will not be first. If we approach a physician that is only doing injections, mm -hmm. maybe some neuromodulation a little bit, then that might not be our person for, for now. But you never know in the future. I mean, again, mm -hmm. as practices grows, as physicians you know, build their skills, get more trainings, it's something we can always come back and revisit. But we want physicians to be very comfortable, very competent in our procedure. Yeah, that's great. Hey, Speaking of changes and developments in this market, mm -hmm. not very long ago at all, it was announced that there is now a code for office-based procedures with SI. There are. Starting in 2024, this year. Right. Because the market historically at this point was hospitals and ambulatory surgery centers. From the research I've done, the hospitals alone, that market's going to be uh, about $1.1 billion by 2032. Hospitals have all this infrastructure, resources, big, well-developed, sophisticated operating rooms, imaging modalities. ASCs have a lot of that too. But now we're looking at taking this into the office. Tell us about that and what your understanding is of what that looks like. Sure. That has been a huge topic of conversation. No, definitely it is. At first, it sounds alarming, right? So it just I think it's ultimately going to depend on physician skill, what type of setting they have and, and what resources they have, right? Do they have anesthesia where they could at a minimum do mild sedation? Is this going to just be under local mm -hmm. with a volume, right? I mean, there's still a lot of questions on that, right? I mean, I know it's been approved and mm -hmm. quite frankly, I haven't seen any updates on who from a private payer standpoint, who is actually going to reimburse this. I know there's some that have come out in different markets that just said absolutely not. Oh, wow. But okay. and, you know, and obviously the biggest concern of some of these bigger societies, whether that be in pain and spine or what have you, is what do you do if you have a complication? 
are you equipped Mm -hmm. to handle that, right? That's the biggest question, right? And it's a fair question. Mm -hmm. If something goes wrong, you need to be able to do something. Obviously, you have those resources in the surgery center and in the hospital, right? Mm -hmm. So it goes far beyond just having a sterile instrument kit and being able to do something, you know, have the ability to do something in the office like a kyphoplasty. It's like, can we perform this safely and have a good outcome? That's going to be the biggest question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's always the question, right? I was I was at uh, NANS the year that Vertiflex launched and they were my client and I was filling some jobs for them. Actually, that was one client. I think at this point in my career, it still is the record holder. We placed 115 people in that organization wow. before we were done with it. And that was the number one question in a room packed full of physicians. It was a Saturday morning, early morning. I think it was like 8 a.m. or something like that when they decided to put the Vertiflex show on. And the very first question was from a surgeon about how they would handle complications with that procedure. But that is going to be, I think that's probably the number one question right now. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I'm sure people have thought that through very intelligent, much smarter than me. People have thought through how they'll answer that question. But I think that we're all doing some conjecture here. How do you handle that in your mind? Right. I mean, well, it depends on what the complication is, right? I mean, the number one complication I can think of if you're going in intraarticularly, it's like if you have a bleed, right? The bleed would be the biggest thing, right? Yeah. Never mind, is the patient sedated enough? Are they, you know, not moving on the table? Every time they move, the imaging is going to change. Your markers are going to change. You know, are you putting it in the right place? Are they going to be able to handle that type of procedure in the office, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, look, if you have, and I should be more familiar, but I'm not, you know, as far as like the ACA scores, level one, level two. Essentially, if you got anesthesia in your practice and if you have a crash card and you have all these things, then okay, it, it's probably a safe thing. But if you don't have some of these the, these things, mm-hmm. you know, who, who's to say? So yeah, that, that would be the biggest complication I could think of. Yeah. What happens if something happens, right? Yeah, we're on it. We're in the brave new world here. Right. Things are changing rapidly with technology advancements. I can't imagine that we won't see more and more procedures taken right down to the office level if possible at all. So your question is a good one and framing it is the, is the right way, you know, what happens? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure really smart people are thinking that through. Mm-hmm. Typically, there's been two approaches in this area, dorsal and anterior, dorsal being dominant, right? That was over $413 million of the market as of 2022. I don't, I'm trying to think of an anterior approach in SI Fusion. I know there was a company out there that did that for a while and ran into some challenges with punctures and things like that. Mm-hmm. Do you see a lot of anterior approaches in, in your niche, in your area? No, I mean, you've got three types right now, right? You have a direct lateral approach, which is kind of traditional, right? With screws, whether they be fully threaded or partially threaded, most of the time they're fully threaded. Then you have the posterior lateral, which is we're essentially coming down just off that lateral ridge and you're coming in at almost like an angle, right? And making sure you're going through the ilium, across the joint into the sacrum. And then you also, if you're doing an allograft, you have that intraarticular placement. Now, where intraarticularly you're placing that, there's you know a few debates on that. But yeah, it's all either a posterior approach or a lateral approach or somewhere in between, depending on which system you're using. Tell us about your approach your company uses. Sure. Yeah. So we offer both direct lateral and posterior lateral. 
you know, our, our biggest claim to fame is our screw. I mean, unfortunately, we're 2024. Screws have been around <laughs> for a little while. Mm-hmm. So you talk to anybody that's been around like, oh, well, a screw is a screw is a screw. It's like, well, that's not exactly true, right? When you think about true compression, which is what we're trying to achieve here, right? We're trying to stabilize and compress that joint. Mm-hmm. You absolutely have to have a change in thread pitch in order for that to take place, right? So you, if you imagine putting two two by fours together with the screw, Obviously, you have the ability to hold those two two by fours together. And even if it's fully threaded, you can hold them together, put the screw across, and it's going to be okay, right? You're going to get that true compression. Obviously, we don't have that luxury inside the body. We're not able to hold the sacrum and ilium together to do that, right? So, what you need is that change in thread pitch. So, from a high to a low. And so as you're coming across, it's literally grabbing the sacrum and pulling it towards the ilium, right? In, in, in conjunction, right? Simultaneously. And that, and we've illustrated that outside the body, inside the body. Yeah. You know, another thing I, I think it's really important is we do not require DBM. A lot of companies, whether they do it inside the implant, after they insert the implant, whether that's posterior or laterally, we do not require DBM, right? Because of the way our screw is made. Explain real quick for our audience what DBM is. Sure. Demineralized bone matrix, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So essentially it comes in synthetic forms, but the best is obviously from a donor, right? For, mm-hmm. for DBM that, that adheres much better based on some, some studies. But with our screw, something else to, to keep in mind, ours are 3D printed titanium, right? So mm-hmm. very durable. They go through a patented heated process afterwards. The majority, I don't want to say all, but pretty much every screw out there has some sort of quote unquote surface technology where they've either treated it They've sprayed it, whatever. It's like nanotech this, HA that. Mm -hmm. What we have is once ours goes through the heating process and the anodization process, we actually have phosphorus and calcium that impregnates the actual implant. So it is not something you can scrape off. It never goes away. It's a part of that implant. So in, in the space in between, I was talking about thread pitch earlier, you have the space in between that shows our lattice structures that mimic bone. I mean, literally, it looks like Narnia under a microscope, but it's quite literally mimics bone under several different magnifications. And you have that. So you have, you know, when you talk about fusion, in-growth, on-growth on an implant. So there's your on-growth. And then the in-growth happens. We have little slits. They actually act as augers. If you can imagine on a screw, there's these little grooves that have a lip on them. And as you come across that joint, it actually harvests just a little bit of bone to go on the inside of the screw as well. Mm -hmm. So now you had adherence Mm -hmm. to the implant, both internally and externally. And that's what's going to give you that true fusion. That's why we don't need DBM. And that's what's going to give us a a good long-term outcome. Well, that's great. That sounds like a real innovative approach and a effective one. Mm-hmm. Some unique advantages there. Ortho Fundamentals is the manufacturer of the product. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. We do everything in-house, right? So from the screws to our packaging. So we also have a single use okay. packaging, a single use system, both for lateral and posterior lateral. Mm-hmm. And something else I, I certainly want to highlight from the a posterior lateral approach is we have step one is a jam sheety, which you want to make sure you get that across the joint. Most physicians, especially pain management, are very familiar with that device. So you put in your jam sheety and then you take the stylet out, which is the internal part of that jam sheety. So now imagine you have a pathway to put a guide pin through. So what we have is a splay wire that's unique only to us. And it's made out of nitinol at the, at the tip, right? So these little fingers will splay open. So the harder you push, the more those fingers splay out. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the safety features that we put into our system. So if you're coming from a posterior lateral approach, 
um, you know, what are the two things that can go wrong? Well, A, you have to watch out for your foramen, which not always in play from that trajectory. But the worst thing that can happen is you go through the anterior wall and it, now you're in the bowels, right? Mm-hmm. Not a place you want to be. No. So that is something, that, you know, and again, one of the least dense bones in the body is the sacrum, right? Mm-hmm. So it is not very difficult to put a trocar tip or a diamond tip guide wire or jam sheety for that matter through that bone, right? And as you're working, Preventing it from traveling is is very difficult, right? So we've seen a lot of physicians really like that feature. Mm-hmm. It's like a safety mechanism, right? I mean, almost like a seatbelt. You got a seatbelt on this thing. No, it absolutely is. Absolutely is. And once you place that wire, we have a dilator that goes over top and wherever that wire sticks out on the measuring device of that dilator, that tells you what size screw. You put a drill guide over top of that. You set the drill to whichever depth. So let's just say it's 40 millimeters. Okay, great. We set that depth. And then again, the the depth on the depth stop, I guess we would call it, is going to stop at that drill guide. So again, it's impossible to drill to a 50 or to a 60 or too far, right? So yet another mechanism that we have, again, all being performed with a ratcheting handle. So there are no power tools involved. Everything you need, with the exception of a mallet, is in our kit. Okay. That's great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that kit thing, that is a huge conversation. I, I've talked to reps over and over the years and, and a lot of the discussion gets into what's in the kit, what, what's included, what's there, mm-hmm. what what outside things the physician has to bring in that they don't have in the kit. Mm-hmm. Sounds like yours is pretty complete. Absolutely. You know, we, we had a universal one for whichever, but now we've dialed it into where, okay, this physician does lateral, here's a lateral kit. This physician does posterior lateral, here's a posterior lateral kit. So Simplistic is is what we're about. I mean, intuitive single use solutions for outpatient surgery. That is that is our moniker. Yeah. When was Ortho Fundamentals founded? What's the story with the company? Uh, in 2018, started by a guy named uh, Matthew Palmer. Okay. And mm-hmm. uh, he is our CEO. And this is his second project in medical. I'd, I'd love for you to have him on, so he can tell. I don't want to tell too much of his story. Hopefully, you'll have the opportunity to speak to him. He's got a great story. So this is kind of his second project. And uh, he brought on one of his associates, is Jared Sakakini. Uh, been in spine for 15, 16 years with the Pew. So it brings a lot of that spine ortho, you know, hardware background. Mm-hmm. And these two guys teamed up and, and created this company. And yeah, I mean, started with the kit, listened to the market, what are the needs, what are the wants, mm-hmm. and have developed this product. And we continue to perfect it. We've, we've got a few other products that will be coming out this year, fingers crossed. And yeah, want, want to be a total solution for uh, certainly SI joint, but maybe some other procedures down the road. Mm-hmm. What does distribution look like for you? Are you national? Do you go through distributors? Do you hire W-2s? Yeah, so we are national. So far, we've got a handful of distributors that have a big network that are utilizing our product, um, seeing a need mm-hmm. with, with their business. So ultimately, the goal is, I mean, we certainly, we are commercialized, but we really want to ramp that up. So we are actively looking for full-time employees with that can work in tandem or alongside some of our distributor partners. So it's just, uh, it's interesting. It's a very mixed bag. You know, there's the the pain management and then there's the spine. <laughs> so yep. I, th- I think there's a world where we can all work together. I think there's a need and there's uh, enough of a patient population where the two can work in, in tandem. It's a hot market. Mm-hmm. That certainly is just a fact. One of the things I think with with a number of players in the market that are in the market, a passion you had, I know when you reached out was you wanted to correct some things or or make sure people understood some things about that market. 
have we covered enough in this conversation or is there a few other subjects you want to touch on and, and discuss? Cause I, I love the passion when I got your, your note, I was like, Oh, this is great. This guy's fired up. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot of noise out there right now. Right. And you know, we're, we're trying to, Jared says all the time, you do the right things long enough, things will come to fruition. And that's what we're trying to do mm-hmm. again, intuitive single use solutions for outpatient surgery. That's the name of the game in trying to be a good steward in helping physicians navigate the changing landscape that is coding and reimbursement and try to guide them through that process and making sure that we're doing all the, or they are doing all the conservative treatment options beforehand, right? Mm -hmm. Making sure these are the right candidates because ultimately if there's not some checks and balances, then the outcomes are going to be poor and that's not good for anybody, obviously the patient and the industry as a whole. So we want to make sure that everyone's dotting their I's and crossing their T's and doing doing things the right way. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Josh, thanks for being on today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right. This has been a great conversation with Josh Reynolds, Area VP for Ortho Fundamentals. And I'm sure you can find him a number of different ways. He's on LinkedIn. That's one way. Any other ways? Yeah. So orthofundamentals.com, obviously. Direct message on LinkedIn would probably be the best if you're a physician interested in being trained, learn more. If you're a distributor or or maybe someone that's in the field looking for a change, uh, we'd love to talk to you. That's great. Thanks for being on, Josh. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you for joining us on the Chase MedSearch Podcast. I hope that you gained some helpful insight from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes and give us a like on your favorite streaming platform. It really helps grow our audience. For more information on Chase MedSearch, visit our website at chasemedsearch.com. Thanks again for joining us. Until next time, I'm Jordan Chase, and this has been the Chase MedSearch Podcast.